If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel, and this week, I'm excited for you to meet Sarah Fryer, CEO of Nextdoor, the neighborhood network that brings neighbors and organizations together to cultivate a kinder world. Sarah joined Nextdoor as CEO in 2018 and took the company public in 2021 under the ticker symbol KIND. Today, Nextdoor serves over 300,000 neighborhoods in 11 countries and counting. Before joining Nextdoor, Sarah served as CFO of Square. Under her leadership, Square launched its initial public offering in 2015 and added $30 billion in market cap. She also held the executive roles at Salesforce, Goldman Sachs, and McKinsey. Sarah sits on the boards of Walmart and Consensus, and she's the co-founder of Ladies Who Launch, a nonprofit that celebrates and empowers women entrepreneurs. Sarah earned an engineer degree from Oxford and an MBA from Stanford, where she graduated as an R.J. Miller Scholar. In 2019, she was granted an OBE from Queen Elizabeth II for services to entrepreneurship. And with that, let's welcome Sarah. For everybody that's listening, can you just walk through what Nextdoor is in plain English in your own words? So for those of you that don't know Nextdoor, first of all, I would just say quickly run up, download the app, and get connected into your neighborhood. So Nextdoor is where you connect to the neighborhoods that matter to you so that you can thrive. Neighbors around the world come to Nextdoor really for three reasons. They come to get trusted information. So we work with a lot of public services, for example, everyone from FEMA to the local mayor's office. We work with 10 Downing Street in the UK, back in my homeland. Uh, Second, they come to give and get help. And we know it's something very particular to this power of proximity. Um, Help me find my lost dog. You've got to live around someone to find that lost dog all the way to help me find a plumber, help me find a birthday cake for the weekend, um, up to really big things. Like I'm lonely. I would love to find my group of people that loves to do the things I love to do. And then finally, and very important to our purpose, our founders founded Nextdoor on the fact that 50% of Americans knew one or none of their neighbors. And so we wanna create connectivity online, but that can be taken into the real world because we ultimately believe that great communities are all about this power of in real life connection. What was the moment that made you be like, Nextdoor is the company I want to go and, and, and you had many options. So what made you choose it? In hindsight, it was super easy. At the time, it was a difficult decision. I loved what I was doing at Square, but there were kind of three things that stood out to me. Number one was community. I feel I'm at a stage of my life. I've probably been someone that's always been driven by how do you make a change happen in the world? And I felt like community was getting more and more kind of depleted everywhere I looked. I I still think this is a huge problem. I grew up in a small community in Northern Ireland. My mom and dad were kind of next door before the app existed because my mom was a local nurse. My dad was a local personnel manager of the mill. 
and everything kind of happened around our house. Like when people needed help, they would come to my mom and dad. And so this feeling of being able to impact community, but in a really hyperscaled way, spoke to me. So today we get to serve 81 million neighbors across 11 countries and we're getting bigger every day. Second reason with my business hat on, remember I, I will admit to starting a bunch of my career on Wall Street, being an analyst, deciding what are gonna be great businesses over time, just the data that we had available to us was so unique. So when you think about how we make money, we have, first of all, real people. So you can't be an avatar on next door, a real person at a real address. We know where you live because to use the app, you have to tell us so we can put you in the right neighborhood. It's a super high intent audience. So people are getting stuff done. And then finally, you can do this very broad message of local, but done at scale. So I said, this has got to be an amazing business over time, like super unique. And then finally, people. And I normally start with people as a leader. Like, I totally believe if you get your people right, everything else just happens. But it was people and both. The thing I learned at Square, actually started at Salesforce with Mark Benioff, is if you can lead people, not just with their head, but with their hearts, if you have a purpose that speaks to them, they will run through walls for you. And Nextdoor felt like the sort of company that had the purpose part that would allow us to really do something massive. What did you learn about go-to-market and what worked for Nextdoor? There's two kind of sides to that because remember, when we say who is on Nextdoor, it's neighbors, we use this term broadly speaking, but that could be a resident. I'll talk about how we find product market fit there, but it's also local businesses, public agencies I already talked about, and then even the long tail, like the schools, the sports teams, the nonprofits, right? All of them technically we want on next door because in our view, that's how a neighborhood thrives. So when we think about how we get product market fit on the resident side, it's really about being relevant locally. Our head of product would call it being the Swiss army knife. There's so much that you can do locally, but each individual use case can be very different, right? It could be, I lost my dog, but it might be, I really want to find a local mom's group. Um, I'm on a running group, so I run with my group on next door. It might be all the way to like, I want to redo my whole backyard. Like who are the, the different vendors that I'm going to work with? So lots of individual use cases. And the idea is just always to be relevant. From a business perspective, the way we find product market fit is kind of what I just said, being able to explain that we have the audience. You don't have to go out and garner it yourself, right? If I go to a small business, if you're on other social platforms, for example, you need to create followerships. You need to be a great marketer. Most small businesses have no time. They are living day to day. And to the extent that we can say, hey, when you get on next door, you're ready of access to all of the people we've already brought to the platform. Um, and then with bigger businesses, it's often about going back to purpose. And I think marketers are hearing this message all the time of stop trying to sell me stuff and show me that you care. And I think Nextdoor is a place where a brand can show up much more authentically and really kind of help a community get something done. So there's this way that you can be authentic, but also do what you need to get done. Like you need to grow your business too. Talk a little bit about how you at Nextdoor think about the mission and decisions to put in things like kindness reminders before somebody posts something that maybe shows negative language. Talk to us about what you've learned and how you're leading there. Something that we term overall neighborhood vitality is really at the core of how we build. I manage the company around pillars, not to get too wonky, but one pillar is about growth, like step change in neighborhood growth. But a second pillar is driving kind conversations. And we could easily have dropped the word kind and just said driving conversations, right? I call that kind of engagement at any cost. 
But we said no, like in going back to our purpose, if we want to create welcoming communities, we need to really walk the talk, not just talk a big game about it. So we invest at a product level beyond just, you know, we can also then put go to market strategies around it and comm strategies. But at a core product level, we just were created differently. When you join Nextdoor, we ask that you show up as a neighbor with your real name um, and people can see the neighborhood that you're living in. From the get-go, you don't have an avatar. We're not asking you to have a handle. Like we're saying, hey, you're going to show up and this the person you're going to talk to online, you might bump into in the coffee shop. Second thing is we ask you to take a neighborhood pledge, which guidelines. So we're saying there's a way that we would like you to show up on this platform. Be helpful, not hurtful, for example. But then beyond that, we started to do a lot of work um, in the behavioral science arena. And we've worked with a bunch of academics. Um, Spark at Stanford, S-P-A-R-Q, um, is co-led by Dr. Jennifer Eberhardt. She is literally the world expert on bias. And they helped us think about ways to slow people down when perhaps they weren't going to be their best selves. So kindness reminder that you mentioned is a great example where if you are writing something that we use a lot of AI in the platform already to score, for example, a post. And this says, this post is highly likely to get moderated. Kindness Reminder pops up and it's doing two things. It's causing you to read something, which brings you back into your frontal lobe, um, which is where you typically have learned about your own biases. and You've learned through experience how maybe to act differently. The second thing it's doing is it inferences that in a future state, you're going to be looked at a little bit more negatively. Humans don't like that. So we actually act better in the moment. But what we see there is about a third of people are willing to edit their post. This is a good example of not having engagement at any cost because most tech platforms are all about speed, like the funnel, make it slippier, right? You hear all these kind of very, um, I was going to say masculine terms, but like definitely this sense of like, no matter what, we need to get people engaged. Um, but we really actually take the time to slow people down. So it might actually impact us short term in terms of engagement, but we think long term, it makes us a much more authentic, welcoming place to be. On that final note, um, you know, in terms of an area I get excited about, generative AI, we not just added on to Kindness Reminder, not only the option to edit, but we actually now offer you a constructive way to have that conversation. And as someone who grew up in the Troubles in Northern Ireland, the ability to get people around a table to actually talk when they might hate each other, you can't stop that conversation. You'll never get to peace or whatever if you don't constructively talk, but it's how do we help people do that. Can you talk a little bit about business model evolution and obviously advertising and local small business advertising, but just talk a little bit about how you and the leadership team at Nextdoor have thought about the business model. The great thing about Nextdoor is there's an embarrassment of riches, right? When I was joining the platform, someone I really respect in the VC world said, oh, you're a feast business. And I was like, what do you mean by that? He's like, you're going to die from overeating. You're not going to die from hunger. And it was like this convoluted way of saying, you're going to have so many ideas. You need to really think about focus. And so while over the long run with Nextdoor, I see many different ways we can create business models because we do have this first party audience that we have acquired over time. We've gotten them to be very engaged. And so there's myriad ways you could think about building different business models on top. But I'm going to start with advertising because one of our big business model decisions was we are going to be ad forward. Right? I, I talked about our pillars. So step function and growth driving kind conversations. And the third of three is to build a must-buy 
local ad platform for businesses of all sizes. Now, even within that, that is a massive thing to go after. First of all, ad platforms are complex. The good thing is they tend to really sing when you have access to unique data sets and Nextdoor owns the local knowledge graph. So check on the data set. And then the second piece is they tend to work really well when your ad is very high context, feels very native. In fact, those highly native ads are very context full. So they're very engaging. So again, it's a good reason to have gone into the ad business. But that kind of ending of that statement for businesses of all sizes is also a bit of a feast moment because when you're trying to um, open up a platform for the smallest of small businesses, they need something like they need self-serve. They need like if we can get my dream right now is that we get to kind of a generative AI moment where we're taking the information that already exists about them on the platform. Right. Neighbors have already said this is the most amazing dog walker of all time. They go out of their way to do this and they take photos of my dog and send them to me when I'm at work. Right? Why don't we just create the ad? We probably even have some photography. So literally, instead of taking you through an onboarding flow, we're like, would you like this to be your page? It's free. You can post on Nextdoor for free, but we take out all the work. But then you're also trying to serve all the way up to ad agencies, right? Super sophisticated they want hands-on. They want to be able to do it all themselves. They're really, really good at it. Um, and so how do we also build for the biggest platforms in the world or even the biggest companies in the world, right? So that range gives us a lot to play with. So you asked me kind of the decisioning. The hardest thing we do is staying focused. And so one of the hardest things I do is I feel like we start every period, might be a quarter, or we try to build actually in half-year segments. And we're all like focused, we're going to do these things. And then, you know, weekend, someone's like, this happened. And then could we do this for a client? And this new technology just like came forth. And you're like, you know, it's something as a leader, I think a lot about because I am a technology optimist. I am curious by nature. And so I can be just as bad as everyone else in injecting great new ideas into the system. And so I have to find my own calibration of when as a CEO do I need to push, push, push on something new that I just intuitively feel like we have to be on the forefront of? Like vitality is one, generative AI actually is a second right now. And when do I have to control my curious urges and just come back to focus? When you're judged quarter to quarter, it gets really hard to think about big bets. And you guys very much have venture bets inside Nextdoor. Can you give us a quick sense of how you think about that so we have a framework, um, full call out to our prod dev team. So we call it core, strategic, and then venture. In your core, there is development that's going on on stuff that already has strong product market fit, should actually already have a strong business model, ideally should be profitable. And the goal is to feed that cash cow. Then there's strategic. And this is where, to me, strategic is, it's a natural adjunct to what's in the core. You already got strong line of sight to it being having strong product market fit, but it could certainly be, for example, an area that you don't yet have a strong business model around. An example on Nextdoor is our for sale and free platform. So it's our marketplace. There's over a billion dollars put on Nextdoor every month. We win because it's hyper-local, right? If you want to sell a table or a car, it's hard to ship that stuff you know, across the country. So local wins. It's high trust because, again, those things are not something you can carry to the local coffee shop to meet someone. 
that person's probably coming to your house. And then finally, there's this community aspect, like part of why I was like, we don't need this extra elliptical. I see a lot of people in next door right now trying to find ways to exercise because gyms are closed. Let's do something for the community. And then finally, there's venture bat, which is where you started from. I don't know if there's a perfect allocation of resources. So your venture bets, they cannot be your biggest bets, but sometimes if you don't have enough investment in, they're destined to fail because you're not investing in them. We've had venture bets along the way that either became like features that we've launched, like events is a good example, kind of a no-brainer. Of course, events should work on Nextdoor. Local events are always what people are looking for. And so that kind of went from an early build, pulling it in. But there's other times where we have launched something. And even though in your soul, you know, if you want really hard after it, you could probably make it work. You kind of have to be good at saying not now, or maybe not ever, and being willing to kill that bet. And that's really hard because it can be really hard on the morale of a team. They feel like they failed, but it's trying to explain we're here to optimize for the whole. We learned a lot. Thank you. But now we're going to move you over for the good of the company. One of our core values is act like an owner. You're not optimizing just for you, but think about it as you got to do this amazing tour of Judy, but we're going to move on from it. Can you tell us one of the like happier behaviors or like a story of something that's happened that just maybe people wouldn't imagine could happen on Nextdoor? We are a storyteller's dream. So there's everything from the super micro to the big macro. I'll go to a big macro one, but I have a super little micro one too. But on the macro level, we've been working with an organization called The Big Lunch out of the UK for a while. And The Big Lunch is a nonprofit organization that does what it says. It gets people once a year to have a big lunch with their neighbors. And it's the classic start online, move people to an offline experience. Last year, we did um, the big Jubilee lunch. So for the Queen's Jubilee, we went all in. We had a map-based surface so people could see where their neighbors were either having a cup of coffee down the local coffee shop to like literally clearing streets, putting tables, bunting. We managed to get almost 18 million people, might even mean slightly more than 18 million people to get out on the street and break bread with their neighbors, right? That is about a third of the UK population. So my dream is that we are going to get 100 million Americans to come out and break bread with each other. I need to figure out how to do that. I have some ideas. Wow. On the micro, one of my, you know, amazing COVID moments is there was a help group created in my neighborhood. And so I totally signed up. And the woman who was coordinating it Um, had me going and doing some pharmacy runs for an older lady who lived locally. And then on and on and on, she kept asking me different things. And then at one stage, I call it like she outed me. She discovered I was actually the CEO of Nextdoor. I don't like this because I want to be just a neighbor. But the amazing moment is Penny turned out to be Northern Irish. I'm like, I come from a country that's the size of a pea. Let's be clear. I swear to God, I was like, are you Northern Irish? And so I think we might be the two Northern Irish people living in our neighborhood. And we found each other through Nextdoor and have become best friends. So kind of an amazing local moment for me. Can I just get a prediction that you have? And that can be five years out, 10 years out, but just something that you see really clearly right now from your seat that maybe the rest of us haven't seen the future yet. What is it? I do think you're at this amazing moment in time. And I tell my, I have teenagers, I'm like, you are so lucky because you're living in this beautiful, what does some Altman call it, the Cambrian age, right? Where like, everything suddenly takes off in terms of diversity. So I feel like if you were around when the internet was being created, right, you were like, oh, there's this weird thing going on in Stanford 
And then Mosaic came along, ultimately Internet Explorer, and it was like, whoa, access to knowledge, right? And then if you went to 2004 and you had been using a desktop forever, and now suddenly mobile, and like, and initially people were like, the screen is like tiny relative to a big desktop. And, but then suddenly, boom, people understood like, oh, this is actually a GPS. Now I can do location-centric things right next door really exists because you have mobile. And so I think on the generative AI front, I've been sitting on, um, I'm on an advisory committee down at Stanford around human-centered AI development. Boom, chat GPT happens. I'm like, holy cow, right? What a kind of game changer. And so at Nextdoor, we have actually, I call it AI for the masses. So today, if you're on Nextdoor and you're creating a post, you can hit the assistant button and our Nextdoor assistant will rewrite your post to make it more engaging based on what we know works on Nextdoor. Showing people not in like big gory techie speak, but in like, this is how it's going to make my life easier. I'm super excited that Nextdoor is able to kind of lead from an innovation standpoint on the practical uses of AI. And we'll be right back after a message from our sponsors. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Sarah, I want to transition to you, which is, was there something that happened in your childhood or something your parents did that if you connect the dots to like just the incredible success you've had today, that you're really grateful for and maybe something that you would even replay again for your own family because it was so powerful? What was it? Yeah, um, it's very top of mind because I just had the beautiful experience of going home to Northern Ireland a few weeks back because it was the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Good Friday Agreement happened in 1998. So 25 years, it's almost like exactly halfway in my life as well. And I love the conference I went to that was run by Queen's University in Belfast, had this beautiful three-day. Day one was um, Reflect. Um, day two was Renew, our commitment to peace. And then day three was um, Reimagine. Northern Ireland now has this amazing ability, to, I think, to become a commercial hub. But on the Reflect piece, for those of us who grew up during it, in the beginning of the year, right, everyone voted on the Good Friday Agreement, and there was such optimism. At the same time, it's the year of the Oma bombing. Oma is my local town. It's where all my family goes. It was devastating. Like Oma bombing was, I think, 27 people died. The guy I went to school with it was awful. And so on the reflect moment and how it impacted next door in a way, next, how I feel about community, I remember the first time a bomb went off in my village. So they would blow up the local police barracks. And there was a ton. We had been in school. The bomb went off. We were all like showered with glass. There were, I was probably like 10. Wow. It was like a really powerful, awful moment. But when we got home, the back of our house had just been kind of blasted, right? All the windows were out. And the back of our house was the kitchen. It was my bedroom. It was the toilet, the bathroom. So it was like wide open to like the four winds. And the people who came in were our next door neighbors. And we were Protestant, Northern Irish. They were Catholic, Northern Irish. You know, on the surface, we're supposed to hate each other. 
And the reality is our neighbors were the first people in the door that night to help board up the back of the house with plywood so that we could just even go to bed. And they, because our kitchen was unusable, they brought food. I mean, all of that just always reminds me that even on a surface level, you can look at communities and say, this community shouldn't work for these reasons, or these people will never talk to each other. The world's too divided. But in reality, at a hyper-local level, humans are humans. Like that family to this day, they were amazing. Nine kids, two, two adults in the same size of little house that my family of four lived in. Today, my parents are still there. When my parents need something, I call them. I'm like, hey, could you just go check in? They are the most amazing neighbors. And I just think it's always this moment of remembering this power of local, power of community that can supersede some of the worst atrocities in the world. Sarah, if we go back to you as a young girl, give us a sense of like this comfort with risk, this entrepreneurial nature. Was that present in young Sarah? Or was that something that over time you really kind of evolved into? Yeah, I think true kind of entrepreneurial Sarah took a while to evolve. Because remember, growing up in a small community, there's a lot of risk aversion. First of all, most people don't ever leave. So there's even aversion to finding out new stuff. And then I think secondly, my parents wanted me to become a doctor, a lawyer, or an accountant. Like literally there were only three jobs that existed in the whole world and that was the three. So when I chose not one of those and chose this thing called engineering, they were a little, always been a little worried that I'm not gonna make my way in the world. I would say it was very hard actually to feel more entrepreneurial. And even if you look at my career, right? I joined a lot of big brands in the beginning because even though I wasn't safe for safe doing one of those three jobs, there was a comfort in buying the brand. And even when I came out of business school, I was very close to the dean of the business school. And I remember him actually being angry with me for going to an investment bank instead of going into a startup because I was in Silicon Valley. And he was like almost apoplectic. He's like, what are you doing? And so I think unlocking that more entrepreneurship gene, even at that stage, like it's in my 20s, took a while. So, but I think what unlocked it, number one, I'm super curious get that trait from my dad. He's always totally pushed me to stay curious about anything and everything. I actually love to travel. I think they're probably hyper related. So, you know, my parents let me go off and backpack around Asia when I was like 18 and took a year out of school. Like, what were they thinking? I like had an 18 year old that was like in Thailand and Malaysia and Hong Kong with no phones, like with my little backpack, just me, Northern Irish girl. Um, but you know, so I was probably related to the curiosity point. And then I think on the entrepreneurship point over time, I just garnered more and more confidence. And I think a big part of being an entrepreneur beyond the ideation of like, how can you change the world? See, I think you definitely have to be able to bust through a world that's usually telling, you no to being like, no, here's how we could do it. I think the other thing is like you and whose army, like you're never going to do it alone. So learning how to pull people back to that point by their heart, not just their head. I think it's a huge part of any entrepreneurial journey. You have this quote that I'm personally obsessed with. You said, have at least three mentors in your career, one that one you work with, one who loves you, and a third who scares the living daylights out of you. And I want to talk about that third one because um, I agree with you. Tell us what you mean by that. I do try to keep those four, actually four quadrants full, but on the living daylight, scare the living daylights out of you or scare the bejesus out of you is how we'd say it in Northern Ireland. 
you know, it's about aspiring and saying who out there is doing something extraordinary that I think could re- I could really learn from. Now, usually they're going to be someone who's super busy and they're kind of like, why would they ever pick up the phone to you? So you have to be like a great salesperson to begin with, to go get to them. And then secondly, you have to, I always call it the don't do the mentor me moment, like showing up from a mentor, particularly one that's really, really busy and being like, mentor me is not useful. You need to have a firm list of like, I would like help on this. Please talk to me about this thing. I can do it in 10 minutes or less. And then following up, like I always think if you can show people what's in it for them, then it becomes this very virtuous cycle. So don't just send like a totally, you know, bland, thank you so much for your time. It's like, I asked you this, you told me this, I did this, here's the outcome. And by the way, I'd love to make sure that you are known as someone who are, who's also part of this outcome. And, and in both cases, they were people that I felt like I have no right to even ask this person. They're never going to say yes. I've had a lot of no's along the way. You have to get comfortable with that. But you, why not? You're no worse off. And just always thinking, who is that next person that I aspire to go learn from? Sarah, I'm going to go to the quick fire round where I'm going to ask a question. First thing that comes to your mind, a question you like to ask when you interview somebody to figure out if they're a good fit to work with you. I always ask people, what do you do to make your community better? because you can't fake it. I have a, like a vivid remember ex- memory on the negative actually where I asked someone that question and they said, I really am inspired by community. I just don't have enough time yet. And I was like, okay, if you really believe in this power of community and your soul, there's no such thing as you haven't had time yet. A book that has impacted your life? On the fiction side, it's 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriella Garcia Marquez. Say Nothing by Patrick Radden Keefe. Read it recently because it's about Northern Ireland and it kind of helped really, kind of helped me come a little bit more to peace with some of what it was like to grow up and that and the fact that I do carry like trauma that I've probably always just brushed off and said moved on, but recognizing that that's a big part of my DNA was like a really pivotal kind of read in the last few years. Sarah, is there a quote that sort of like is an operating system or something that like is quite critical to how you think? The Margaret Mead quote that is never doubt a small group or an individual of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. What is one thing you hold as sacred? Yeah, I think on that front, it's this idea of do not give up on your values, right? Leading values is hard, but I really feel like we right now in the world, we need leaders that are going to do the right thing, not the popular thing. And I think when you lead with your values, again, you're going to be, you're going to come across as authentic. You're not kind of blowing in the wind. You'll find that a lot of people will come join you because it resonates for them. You know, generally speaking, I think there's just not enough going down deep in yourself, like self-reflective moments to say, what really are my values? Like, what are the places I won't bend on? Because there's sometimes where I'm like, oh, I don't want to be the pedantic person right now and point out that we're not living up to our expectation. But if I don't, I'm effectively condoning kind of a drop in that level. There's definitely been times in my career where I've sat in a room, often the only, the only woman. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be the woman now that says, points at the sexist moment. And they're all going to hate me and be like, don't bring her back to the meeting. But I'm like, I have to say it. And generally, in the end, people have really respected me. So it's hard, but I think you have to do the right thing, not the popular thing. 
Sarah, we've loved following your career. Thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more, if you are not one of the 80 plus million people already on Nextdoor, please check out nextdoor.com, download the app, get on, join your community. And you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. Sarah, thank you so much. We're rooting for you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. 